Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 25, reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Genesis 45 and 46, Job 37 and 38, Proverbs 4, verse 20 to 27. Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor according accorded me in Egypt, and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land in Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt to your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours." So the sons of Israel did did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them, he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he set his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. 
But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel sent out with all the That was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes." Then Jacob left Beersheba and Israel's sons, took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants, who went to Egypt. Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob. The sons of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zoar, and Shal, the son of Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Marari. The sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan had died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez, Hezron, and Hemuel, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Pua, Jashub, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulon, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These were the sons Leah bore to Jacob in Padan Aram. Besides his daughter Dinah, these sons and daughters of his were 33 in all. The sons of Gad, Zephon, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Ari, Orodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, and Biria. Their sister was Sarah, the sons of Beria, Heber, and Malkiel. These were the children born to Jacob by Zilpah, whom Laban had given to his daughter Leah, 16 in all. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. In Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. The sons of Benjamin, Bela, Bekur, Ashbel, Gerah, Naaman, Ahi, Rosh, Mupin, Hupin, Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 in all. The son of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jazil, Guni, Jazer, and Shalem. These were the sons born to Jacob by Bila, whom Laban had given to his daughter Rachel, seven in all. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. 
When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our father did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Job 37. At this, my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen. Listen to the roar of his voice, to the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. After that comes the sound of his roar, his thunders with his majestic voice. When his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour so that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labor. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chamber to cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction, they swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonder. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised those wonder of him who has perfect knowledge? You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind. Can you join him in spreading out the skies hard as a mirror of cast bronze? Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would anyone ask to be swallowed up? Now no one can look at the sun, bright as it is in the skies. After the wind has swept them clean, out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power, and his justice and great righteousness he does not oppress. Therefore, people revere him, for does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Then it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their up upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. 
Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battles? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel from the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives as uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their season or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when when the dust becomes hard and the clot of earth sticks together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for the lack of food? Proverbs 4 verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give yourself thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Okay, in the last story, we read about how Judah had matured. He was realizing that festering jealousy and anger creates hurt and can lead to hurting others. And he also realized that love can hurt in action. It can be a sacrifice of our own sense of fairness or what is right in favor of a reckless love that can lead to a victory, which can only reflect the power and prodigal love of God, who is telling his story of how he will bring his wounded victor, Jesus, to restore and redeem us to him. Ah, so what I am seeing is that anger can hurt and love can hurt for different reasons and in different ways. This brings me a discernment that I find is countercultural, where we see the proper response to hurt as anger, and we ignore that anger often brings more hurt if not responded to properly. And we see that love is perceived as something that only and always makes us feel good. The scripture is giving us a different type of wisdom. And for me, it makes more sense and reflects more with my human experience. How about you? This story we read today was Joseph's response to Judah's sacrificial love. His heart, his hurt was overcome. He wanted and gave restoration to his brothers. Sacrificial love was victorious over the wound of the past. Oh, how I see the story of Jesus and us here. Then, in verse 4 and 5, Joseph specifically says he forgives them for selling him into slavery. Ah! So if you've been listening to the previous stories, this is confusing because in two previous stories, the brothers seemed remorseful for Joseph's disappearance and death, their lack of humanity and not responding to his cries of distress. 
I'm not sure how much it really matters, but there are at least two scenarios that could have happened in my brain, considering the the thread of these narratives into one story. In the first possibility, right, the brothers did sell him into slavery, and we just assume Reuben didn't know that and that the brothers were admitting and were more contritious about their lack of regard for Joseph's humanity as he cried out to them. Or, in another scenario, the brothers were trying to sell him, but a part of the merchant traders got to him first, and here Joseph is reflecting on his feelings because he never thought he had disappeared or died, but more likely thought his brothers sold him, and that's why the merchants pulled him out and took him to Egypt. So to Joseph, for all these years, he had believed that he had been sold. Regardless of whichever is true, we're reading about Joseph's heart for God, where he sees and he chooses to retell his story, not as exile from his family by his nefarious brothers, but a story where God took him on a mission to help his family. He is giving his brothers and himself restoration when he says, It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father, which I think I might have read more wrong in the biblical text. It actually means child. So not father, father, which means child to Pharaoh. So Joseph was made child to Pharaoh and a ruler that was in charge of food provisions. I noted in the last story how the Egyptians don't eat with Hebrews and they hate shepherds in this story, which is like a little foreshadowing nugget, if you will, for those of you who have read ahead about the slavery of the Israelites or the Hebrews to the Egyptians. We also read how Jacob and all of his family went to Egypt to be cared for and how Pharaoh offered them the best land. But there's this caveat again in verse 34 about Egyptians hating shepherds, and that's why they settled, or at least their servants settled, in Goshen. We read how God spoke to Jacob, and I love how Jacob hears his name called by God and how he replies, here I am. The closeness of their relationship, Jacob's responsiveness to God, I love this, and it's so much more mature than than what we originally were learning about Jacob in the beginning of the stories. Remember, he was renamed Israel, which means wrestling with God. And to read him now, he has settled into this close relationship to God. And it also just convicts me that when when I hear that still small voice, that I'm willing to say, yes, God, here I am. Trusting him as God says, go weather this famine and thrive in Egypt. God has provided a way through this storm of sorts. But meeting God wasn't like a gas station Philip moment for Jacob. The scripture clearly says that God said to Jacob, I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back home. I love that because I think sometimes in my brain, or I don't know if it's our culture, we think, you know, we'll have a moment with God or there's this transaction, but he wasn't with us before or after. Sometimes I even think we think to ourselves, we have to go somewhere or do something to talk to God. Um, And this just... Again, it reframes it and it makes it clear because these are this is God talking and he is saying, I'm going to go with you where you're going and I'm going to bring you back where I want you to go. And I just, oh, I love that. It's this never leave and I will fulfill the promise I made to your grandfathers, your father, and now you. In the second story, Aleu continues to point Job to who God is and how the who is what we are what we know created wisdom, God himself, and it's the outpouring of who he is and that he is far beyond our understanding. Yet we can trust in his character as it's been revealed. Eleu stated it clearly, God does not oppress, but we may not have the full wisdom or understanding in that moment or even in our lifetime. The question becomes, can we trust even when we don't understand? 
instead of asking what I did wrong or what we did wrong or what they did wrong, which is what Job's friends were telling Job to do, or asking like Job did, why did God do this, which tends to lead to God is not just and putting God on notice for a defense. And we can tend to elevate ourselves to a sinlessness state of fake existence. Perhaps the question is, what is God trying to show me or teach me through this, these situations? Um, Yeah, a theologian from APU really helped me to see that question. Think back to the Joseph story and how he chose to respond and mature despite his kidnapping, human trafficking, and imprisonment. God gave us agency in Genesis 1 to react and to act on our own accord. We get to make these choices. We may not have control over what other people do or even our own feelings. Big emotions can come over us like a tidal wave. Particularly in moments of great loss, they can be dizzying. As Max Lucado's book, Anxious for Nothing, indicates, we can influence what we put on replay, though, in our minds, what we dwell on. We can have an on-ramp and off-ramp strategies for our thoughts. We don't have to pretend like we don't feel things. Name it, feel it, but have thought and behavior strategies in place before you're in crisis, For example, what's a good strategy when you receive an email from someone that just sets you off? I don't respond right away. I sometimes draft some notes on my initial thoughts, emotions, and desired responses without hitting reply. Don't do that. And then I go do other things, giving it distance for context, and sometimes I ask a trusted friend for perspective. Then, maybe the next day, after prayer and I dwell on who God is by reading scripture and engaging in prayer at least once— I revisit if and what might be the best response for the purposes at hand and deliver it with both communication skills acquired in marketing, but also a spirit of grace because I recognize that I also require a lot of grace. These strategies can help you to replay God's truth and ask the question that leads to maturity instead of dead ends that feel more like dark and more devastating feelings and thoughts that we already have regarding our situation. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.